Welcome everybody. And uh, this morning, as you can see, our, our message is entitled, God Qualifies the Unqualified. Now, if you're anything like me, um, you probably had people tell you that you're not qualified. You don't meet the criteria for ministry. And uh, once somebody was telling me that and pointing out the reasons why I was not qualified for ministry. And when he finished, I said, is that all you got? I said, it's, it's much worse than that. <laughs> the fact is, though, that God does qualify the unqualified. That's why we're all in ministry. Amen? If you doubt that, you only need to look at the Word of God. You know, Moses stuttered. Amen? Oh, by the way, he was also a murderer. Miriam was a gossip. If anyone was disqualified, what about John Mark, who was rejected by the Apostle Paul? Fancy applying for a ministry position after that, when that's on your CV. Amen? David had an affair. Solomon was filthy rich. Jesus was poor. Thomas, Gideon were both doubters. Martha was a warrior. Noah got drunk. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Oh no, sorry, Jeremiah <laughs> was too young. Abraham was too old. Peter was afraid of death. And Lazarus was dead. But God used them all. So God qualifies the unqualified. So who, who is it that disqualifies those whom God has qualified? And I can think of three areas, and, and maybe you're struggling with one of these three this morning. And so I, I hope that what I'm going to share is, is going to be helpful to you. First of all, we often disqualify ourselves. And I think a classic example of that would be the Apostle Peter. You remember, Peter disqualified himself because of his incredible failure. He had a gigantic failure. Let's not minimize it. You know, he was the one that boasted that he would never deny the Lord. The others would, but he would never do that. Not only did he deny any knowledge of Jesus, any connection with him, he used shocking language to do so. Amen? And straight after, he felt disqualified because he went back to the boats and the nets. He went back to his old profession. He thought he was no longer worthy to be a disciple of Jesus. You remember Jesus called him when he was fishing and he said, leave those and I will make you a fisher of men. But he went back to catching fish again because he felt he was disqualified. Why is that? Because we put such an emphasis on success that often people build their self-esteem on the basis of success. When you think about it, this world teaches our young people to strive for success when they're young. By the time we get to our middle years, 
we go through what's called a midlife crisis. Why is that? Because we did not achieve those incredible goals that we set for ourselves. And then we ask of ourselves, what is my life, what does it count for? What have I accomplished? What have I achieved? And if we don't recover from that, we end in, in, in our latter years in bitterness and regret. Now that's the way this world is. In fact, some societies place such a premium on success that the only honourable way for some people to deal with public failure is to commit suicide in some societies. And, and you know, I think that this culture has kind of crept into the church. Uh, in fact, you know, I know of some churches that name their churches champions centres. Our churches now become centres for champions. <coughs> and often they parade celebrities and sports stars who happen to be Christian to give their testimony as an example of this is the model of success. This is what we aspire to be like. That's okay. But in the process, in, you know, we're not teaching people how to handle failures. And so people who have had a failed marriage, for example, feel second rate. People whose kids have gone off the rails feel like they've failed and that they're not that they've not measured up to the standard. People who've gone bankrupt in business or whose ministries have crashed don't know which way to turn because we have not taught people how to handle failure. Let's look at what let's look at the life of Peter. Did he really fail? You know, what is failure and what is success? Because when we look at the scriptures, you know, God seems to be far more concerned about what or who we are than what we do. Amen? More about being than achieving. Amen? For example, if I'm successful, but my success makes me proud, less compassionate towards others, more independent and self-sufficient from God, is that really success? I would call that failure. But if my failure causes me to be humble, causes me to connect more with God and rely and depend and trust in Him more, and be more gracious to others, I wouldn't really call that failure. I would call that success. Amen? God's goals are different to our goals. And when you look at the life of Peter, we see that actually his failure was not his destination. It was just a bump in the road along the way to his destination. Amen? Amen. The Bible says this, a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. And I love, I love the way that the Bible speaks about Peter's restoration. Because after the resurrection, Jesus said to one of the women, go and tell my disciples and Peter that I will catch up with them in Galilee. Jesus went after Peter because Jesus wanted to restore Peter. 
So our failures, yes, they might reveal something about us, but actually they reveal a lot about God. They reveal that God is the great restorer of lives. He that began a good work in you, he will perform it. He will perfect it. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. And that's what we see with Peter. I, lo I love that way that, that Jesus restored him. You know, when, when um, uh, they were out in that boat and they'd been toiling all night and caught nothing, it was just like going all the way back to the original call when Jesus called them. And remember that great catch of fish. And he told them to cast the nets on the other side and they caught all this great catch of fish, and then they said, it's the Lord, and Peter came running to the Lord, and when he was there, there was a coal fire, <coughs> a charcoal fire, where the fish were cooking. And, and Jesus brought him around that, because you remember when Peter failed, he was standing around a fire, warming himself. So every time he stood around a fire, he would have flashbacks to that awful day when he denied Jesus. Amen? But Jesus wanted to erase that from his memory and put something else there, which was when he was going to recommission him, send him back into ministry. And I love it because, you know, Jesus does not deal with people the way we deal with people. We liken Jesus to us. You know, if Jesus was like us, he would have put Peter on probation. You know, you really mucked up there, but listen, we're going to give you another chance. We want you to come regularly once a month for counseling. In the meantime, you can give out hymn books at the door. We'll see how you go. But Jesus put him right into the front line of the ministry and the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts are dominated by Peter, this man who failed. Why? Because Peter was made a good rebound? No, because Jesus is the restorer of people who fail. Praise God. Hallelujah. And, and, and Jesus, that's his ministry, to restore broken lives. That's why, and I don't want to get into some big theological issue here, but I cannot accept the theology of those who believe what we call replacement theology. That God has finished with Israel and we have now replaced Israel. We are the new Israel of God because Israel mucked up. They blew their chance. They've had their opportunity. God has got nothing more to do with that nation of Israel. Replacement theology. Because that reflects upon the character of God. One strike and you're out. That's not the character of God. In fact, when Israel went into captivity, the prophet Jeremiah, who was ministering at that time, he went down to the potter's house. God took him down there to show him something very important. The potter was making a pot and it was marred. He did not take that lump of clay and discard it. The Bible says he just put it on the wheel again and made it another vessel. Amen. That's God. The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. God has got a wonderful plan for Israel. A wonderful plan of restoration, and we see it being fulfilled in our very 
day and age in which we live. We are a privileged generation. Amen? You look at Jonah. I think we might have mentioned him the other day. Jonah, who, who was given that commission to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. And he went the other direction. What did God say? Well, you blew it. I'll pick someone else. No. He went after Jonah. Amen? And, 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 and the Bible says this, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. You're the man I want, Jonah. And he sent him back into that place. That's the ministry of Jesus, the restorer. Don't think you can ever dis disqualify yourself. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. When God gives a gift, he doesn't take it back. Amen? Hallelujah. The second area where often we feel disqualified is when we listen to what others say is the criteria or the conditions that they put upon us. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this, but once I went along to a, a leader's meeting, a pastor's meeting, I think it was, and somebody was sharing about the qualifications of ministry. And they used the Levitical priesthood as their analogy. And, and when you look at the uh, Levitical priests, there were certain conditions. First of all, they had to be a male. Well, that cuts 50% of us out, doesn't it? They had to be a male. They had to, of course, be in the tribe of Levi. But more than that, they had to be a direct descendant from Aaron. And then they had to be between the age of 25 and 50 years of age. So they were not qualified until they were 25. And when they were 50, they were disqualified. And then there were these requirements regarding their health. If they were not healthy, then they were disqualified. And, and this is where it gets very interesting. Because somebody came up with this idea of spiritualizing all these sicknesses that would disqualify you from ministry. I don't know if you've heard this teaching or not. But there are 12 things that are mentioned. Here they are. Blindness. So uh, uh, somebody who was blind was disqualified. And they would spiritualize that and say, if you can't see God's perspective, you're disqualified. Lameness. That is one who wanders from the straight and narrow path. Disqualified. Somebody with a flat nose. So cruel. So cruel. Someone who's broken their nose and, you know, the sense of smell is likened to discernment. If you've got no spiritual discernment, you can't lead God's people. Superfluous body parts. Somebody with six fingers or six toes or extra long limbs would represent a character of excess extravagance. Disqualified. Somebody who's, you know, a bit over the top. A broken foot. Unable to walk straight. I mean, it's someone, you know, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Disqualified. Broken hand. They, you know, we do our work with our hands, so this is someone who's got no works. Faith without works is dead. Disqualified. Hunchback. Someone who's bent over in bondage and who's got their nose in the ground and groveling in the dirt. Disqualified. Dwarf. 
Someone who has not grown, developed spiritually in a normal way. Blemished eye. You know, Jesus said if your eye is evil in the context of being greedy, so they liken that to that. Eczema or scurvy, which is someone who's got an uncleanness that actually infects other people. So if you've got a bad spirit and you're infecting other people, disqualified. Scabbed. Someone who's been wounded as a result of the judgment of God upon their sin. Broken stones or crushed testicles, actually one of the um, <laughs> translations says, means unproductive, barren. Have you led anyone to Christ lately? You're a barren, but you can't lead. How can you minister when you haven't led someone to Christ in the last three months? Friends, I want to bring to you now this morning a revelation. We are not Levitical priests. Amen? Last time I checked, we are not Levitical priests. These were requirements for priests under the law, under the old covenant. Amen? We are in the new covenant and a new priesthood. Jesus is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And we are all priests because he made one sacrifice for all our sins together and has qualified us. That's why it's interesting, often when the New Testament speaks about our priesthood, it tells us in the same verse that Jesus has qualified us by cleansing us from all our sins. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests unto God and the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Jesus has cleansed you from the scurvy, from the flat nose and the broken hand and the broken foot and everything. It's all cleansed. It's all under the blood. You are washed. And now you've been made a priest under God. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us. How did he redeem us? Through the blood. Redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Amen? Now there's a purpose in this. God has a wonderful purpose in qualifying the unqualified. And we see it here. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that, here's the purpose, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why I love it. When people say to me, you know, you're disqualified from ministry or you're not qualified or you don't measure up. I say, I know. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> Isn't it amazing? God with God. He even uses people like me. That we might be to the praise of his glory. Amen. Incidentally, as you probably know, that is a quotation from the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 19. Where God said... If you will obey my commandments. He put a condition. If you obey my commandments. He was talking to the whole nation. Then you will be to me a special people 
a royal priesthood and so on. So he gave the, the opportunity to the nation of Israel to be priests on condition of their keeping commandments. Amen? But then, of course, we know that by the time they got to chapter 24, they'd broken those commandments already. And he singled out the tribe of Levi, and then he whittled that down to Aaron's family, and then to those between those ages, and then to those who were healthy. Condition, 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 condition. When we come to the new covenant, Jesus has fulfilled the conditions. And there's no conditions. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Keep that in mind, friends. God is going to use you not because of you, in spite of you, that he might be glorified. That's why I love the word of God, because the word of God, as we said, as we saw right at the beginning of what I'm sharing with you, the word of God shows us the characters that God used, warts and all. Amen? It was Oliver Cromwell who coined that phrase when he was having his portrait um, you know, painted. Um, he said, I want you to paint my picture, warts and all. Show me as I am. That's what the Bible does. It takes these characters and shows us exactly what they were like, just like you and me. I love this when Paul said this, in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Amen? How about you? Can you improve on that as far as your flesh is concerned? No. Flesh is flesh. Flesh is who we are disconnected from God. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit. You are not in Adam, you are in Christ. Amen? That's why God uses us. Paul then goes on to say, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The treasure of heaven. The treasure of Christ in us. The hope of glory. In earthen vessels. Vessels that were made from clay, scraped out of the miry pit and baked in the sun and as I look around, I can see that some were only half-baked. <laughs> but we won't talk about those. And God, God pours his treasure into those so that he might be glorified. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So that when God, people see God doing things through us, they say, that's got to be God. That's not him. He could not do that. She could not do that. That's God. Amen? You're all familiar with this passage. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. You know, you could paraphrase that by saying God says 
I don't do champions. I don't do superstars. I do weak. I do foolish. I do failures. And I use those people that nobody, nobody should glory in my presence. Amen? So don't let others disqualify you. You're not a Levitical priest. You're a priest according to the royal priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. Amen? And then the third thing that often disqualifies us, we allow to disqualify, is culture. I, I love culture. You know, um, I, you know, as I go to different countries, I don't know how many countries I've been I've been I think, in about 30 different countries. And I love to observe the culture. You know, there's nothing wrong with culture unless it elevates itself above the Word of God. Amen? And uh, there's good and bad in every culture. Now, one of the things I don't like about our Western culture, and I see it in contrast, especially when I go to Asian countries, is that we, we tend to demean people as they get older. And, and we, we, we set them aside and even show them less respect and, and almost idolise the young people. You know? That seems to be a part of our culture. Um, but it's not biblical culture. And, and you know, the, the, the problem is, you know, I remember once uh, one guy, uh, this is when I was pastoring in, in New Zealand, um, we had a joint meeting with, with a few churches and, and there was one pastor there who had this philosophy, this philosophy of uh, really basically wanting to build just a young people's church. And his strategy for getting rid of the old people was to ramp the music up loud, to blast them out of the church. That was his philosophy. And I remember saying to him, you know, you're foolish. You, you, you want to discredit and discount the wisdom the, uh, you know, the experience of those who are not so young, you know, you want to just get them out of the church and think you can do it with youthfulness alone, energy and zeal alone. We need both. We need both. You know, within two years, his church had closed down. How foolish that is, isn't it? Amen. And we've got to be careful. We don't take that on. Because sometimes I hear... Older people say to younger ones, well, we've done our part now, it's your turn. Where is that in the Bible? You know, we've taken this thing on called retirement. I mean, retirement is okay in the workforce. That's okay. But it's not okay in the kingdom of God. Amen? You know, some people say, yeah, we've done our part now. We're just sucking our gums till Jesus comes. <laughs> your turn now. Is that what the Bible says? No, it's not. I, I, love, I love looking at Moses as a character in the Bible because he lived for 120 years and his life is split into three parts. The first 40 years, he was learning to be a somebody. You know, he, he was destined to replace Pharaoh. He was a Pharaoh's adopted grandson. He didn't have a son. So he would replace him on the throne 
And he was on a career path that gave him the best education, the best training. He was learned in all the, you know, the wisdom of Egypt and so on. And he had the best this world could give him. And by the age of 40, he blew it. <laughs> he murdered someone. And that began the second period of his life, the second 40 years where he ran into the desert learning to be a nobody. You don't read anything of him in those 40 years. For the silent years. Moses the forgotten man. And then, when he was 80 years of age, on his last section of his life, God called him. And by this time, he couldn't even speak properly. He, he lacked so much self-confidence that he stuttered. And he used that as an excuse. I can't speak. So God says to him, well, take your brother. His brother was older than him. His brother was 83. So these couple of old codgers going up to Pharaoh, <laughs> about to lead the biggest mass exodus in the history of time. That's God. You're laughing. That's the humor of God. Amen. What about, what about Caleb? Joshua and Caleb, you know, the two good spies that did not re receive the evil report. So we can go in. But the ten influenced the whole camp and that whole generation were disinherited because they didn't want to go in. They were afraid of the giants. So Caleb and Joshua had to wait 40 years for that generation to die off. And then at the end of that time, you remember when jo Joshua was going in and dividing the land, Caleb came to him and said, you know, you remember what the Lord said to me? You know my inheritance, Hebron, where the giants are, that mountain. Give me this mountain. I'm 85 today. Joshua said, happy birthday. So I'm 85 today. But I'm as strong today as I was back then. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I love that spirit, friends. I love that spirit. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. Amen. What did Joel say? In that great prophecy, your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. I'm still seeing visions, but <laughs> there will be a time when I dream dreams with the rest of you. <laughs> Amen. Our work is never done. Amen. The older we get, sure, our bodies cannot do as much. And, and, you know, our memories are not as sharp as they were. Sorry, what was I saying? <laughs> That's right, our memories are not as sharp as they were. But friends, God hasn't finished with us. We've got all this wisdom. We've got all this uh, maturity. We've got the Holy Spirit in us who doesn't age, who doesn't get weary. Amen? And, and we can pass on to others what God has taught us. It's called discipleship. Paul said to Titus, teach the aged women 
that they be teachers of good things. Teach the younger ones. And you know, he took with him on his missionary journey, not only Titus, but Timothy. And he always acknowledged the pedigree of Timothy, where he got a lot of his training from. Um, that it was from his grandmother, Lois. His mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. Amen? Amen. Praise God. God hasn't finished with us yet. Consider this. Picasso was still painting at 91. Toscanini gave his last performance at the age of 87. Michelangelo finished painting the ceiling on the Sistine Chapel at the age of 90. Swinging from the ropes up there. George Bernard Shaw wrote a play at 94. Arthur Rubenstein gave his great recital at Carnegie Hall at 89. Churchill became Prime Minister at 65. Some people think about retiring then. He became Prime Minister at 65 and at the age of 82 he wrote a book called The History of the English-Speaking Peoples. Praise God, your, your best days are ahead of you. Do you believe that? Because it's biblical. The Bible says that the, the path of the just is like the shining light. It shines more and more and more and more until the perfect day. Amen. Amen. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't let culture dictate that you've got to use by date. You haven't. Now Paul says that we are his workmanship. That word workmanship is an interesting word in the Greek. It's the word poema. Poema, poema, from which we get the word poem, work of art. We are God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is a poet, writing a poem with your life. You think of someone like Rudyard Kipling. You know, he could take a blank piece of paper write a poem on it and sell it for thousands of dollars. What do people say? Wow, that's a nice piece of paper. No. They say, what a great poem. Amen. It reflects the work of the artist. It's not about us. That's why we're confident that God qualifies the disqualified or the unqualified because it brings glory to his name that we might show forth the praises of him who has caught us out of darkness into his marvellous light. Friends, I wonder as you look ahead at your life, you project, do, do you just live one day at a time? Do you have a sense of purpose, a sense of destiny, a sense of calling upon your life, a sense of gifting, of empowering? Because every one of us are priests unto God. No one is disqualified. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't let others disqualify you. And don't let culture inflict its boundaries upon you. Tell it what you can do, what you can't do. The Bible says we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, which is holy and acceptable to Him. It's your reasonable service. It's our response to what He has done for us. As I, I think I quoted C.T. Studd the other day, the great missionary, 
Jesus Christ be God and died for me. No sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. Amen. Jesus, who loved us so much, we give him our lives back. Say, Lord, have your way in us. Do miracles in us. Do the supernatural in us. Amen. I think of Gwen there. I just see Gwen and... Uh, you know, the older she gets, not only is she still serving the Lord, but she gets more innovative. Yeah. Do you notice that? You know, the other day she just chucked a wobbly in the shopping mall, went down, I called for an ambulance. As they're loading her on the stretcher, she's looking up at the man saying, God loves you. <laughs> Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? That's innovative, friends. That's really forward thinking. That's like... That's wonderful, Gwen. You're an inspiration to us all. Amen. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall continue to flourish, continue to bear fruit in their old age. Let's pray together. Father, we're just so thankful today that we're not living under an old covenant economy where we had to meet stringent rules and regulations in order to be qualified to be used by you. If we didn't meet those rules, we just became spectators. And watch the others. But Lord, in the new covenant, we're all participators. We're all workers together with God. And Lord, we do offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to you this day. Lord, we say to you today and to every day, we're open for business. Whatever you want to do through us, here are our hands and our feet and our lips and our mind and just, Lord, work through us that we might be a blessing to others in your name and that you might receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Praise God. Come on, let's sing that.